1: to another episode of the IRR show. Guys, it's so nice to be back. It is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful week. I hope your pace was fantastic and that uh, you know you are able to invite uh Elia, who into the house and uh, have a good chat with the with the old old G. Um guys, welcome to the show. My name is Big Daddy Liberty, and of course I'm joined by the ever wonderful Sara Khan Sara. Hello, 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 hello.
2: Hello, Sikli. Um I have to say that I had this sort of bittersweet experience of making the best canade luck ever and only me and my two other members of my family could eat it.
1: Oh, oh, oh actually, excuse the <laughs> pun, I mean, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I'm saying bittersweet. Well, uhm, but yeah, done. I mean, it's, 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 it's one of those, I, I think, just very quickly before we we, we get into the usuals, Mm. um, but dealing with the psychology of of a a lockdown, being alone, I think Mm. it's it's worth a conversation at some point. Mm. Um, Speaking about a conversation, remember this show is the show that brings you all the news analysis and opinion through the liberal lens, and uh, we're linked to um, the Daily Friend website. Remember, if you want to find our writing, you can go to www.dailyfriend.co.za. In today's show, as usual, we'll look at the the week that was, what, what made the news. Um, and I sort of giggle because I can sort of, you know, preempt that, you know, the lockdown is still uh, front and centre and all the things around it. And of course, uh, in our main segment today, we're going to have a special guest, a, a writer for The Rational Standard, Mr. Hugo Kruger, who lives in France. Now, what makes Kruger very special um, is that, uh, you know, he himself uh, had contracted and has gone through uh, the COVID-19. So he's going to tell us a bit about that. And also, we'll look at the sort of response to this pandemic around the world, particularly in Europe because he's done a bit of work um, around that. So we're going to have that conversation at 9.20. Um, and, of course, as always, we'll finish by looking at uh, what we, what the uh, news cycle will be going forward. Sarah, um, mm. before I even begin there, we always begin the show by looking at the, the news week that was. And mm. before we go to our first break at 10 past nine, um, what are some of the big items that you think we, we should be looking at?
2: Well, generally, but I think this will be really part of the discussion with the Hygro. Um, is is the lockdown in general? But just a brief mention: of the DA launched its hashtag Smart lock, Lockdown document. Um, I've, I don't know it in detail, and obviously now there's really no time to discuss it. But give the DA credit in the sense that although it's it's obviously meant to burnish their image, um, it's been thought about whether it's all makes sense or not. It's a basically a phased to phase out the lockdown over, over, I think it's four different periods. Um, But they've presented as very much something they've handed to the to President Ramaphosa uh, to consider. And there's a sort of um, wholesomeness about it, if I can put it that way. It does, however, show up the fact that in all this time, the EFF has offered zip. Uh,
1: It is a very big indictment to to all other opposition parties really as to asking the question what have you been doing in this period guys we're going to take this conversation up after the break um remember after the break we'll look at the news week that was what do you need to know what riled you up what have you been thinking about guys you're listening to the irr show
0: hi fm your station of choice since 2008
1: the they they really do. <laughs> I Always forget <laughs> about um, having to pay the bills. Um, but yes, guys, welcome back to the Irr Show. Now, as you may have heard before the break, and as we always do on the show, we look at the news items that made the week essentially since the last time we spoke. And I think top of mind is exactly the conversation we were having. You know, one has to. Um, you know, if you follow me on on social media, you know that I'm very sceptical generally of all politicians, with my hashtag politician with trash, but, you know, they do have their uses sometimes. And um, uh, the DA perhaps was case in point. And by the way, not just the DA, Sarah, massive, massive kudos has to go to the Minister of Health, Dr. and Kizem, including the presentation they did yesterday with Professor Karim. There was just an air of competence around that whole thing, wasn't there?
2: Well, let's put it this way. Whether one agrees with everything that's said or not, um, uh, Mkizeh looks competently. looks like he's in control. He's thinking about things, which is in sharp contrast to some of his colleagues who are not. Yeah, uh, that's and, right. and in this respect, I particularly at the moment have the uh, Minister of Police uh, Bekhe in mind. Um, mm. His, uh, his, we'll his reputation him. is not being burnished.
1: <laughs> and we'll definitely get to him, but I really wanted to sort of look at everybody in in their own compartments. For me, Mm -hmm. it it was almost the, um, like I always like to break it down the good, the bad, the ugly. For me, Mm -hmm. Mkiza and Kareem, as you said, whether one agrees with their approach or not, um, there is a very strong, which is what you need at this moment, uh, especially when people are scared. You Mm -hmm. need to be able to know that those who control state power and those who control um the, the, the levers of, of the state response are incredibly competent. And uh when it comes to the Department of Health, I, I feel as though they're on a somewhat correct track. Um if not at the very least, they are in control of what they're trying to do. Let me put it that way. Um and we're gonna have a conversation with our guest um after the next break around, you know, what some of the responses of government have been. Um but it does bring us again as you, as you said, to the Minister of, of Police, Peggy Tehle, um, they, they're just, you know, when you look at the number of assaults and the images that we're seeing on social media of soldiers and police brutalizing people, mostly, of course, poor black individuals who live in townships, one is to begin to question you know, how does, how do those who are less fortunate view this lockdown? Is it something that they see as perhaps a, a it targets them more than actually helps them?
2: Well, I, I think, I think one of the problems here is you see a government, you know, who's, who still rides on the coattails of its, uh, putting quotes, liberation glory, um, and doesn't, and, and doesn't seem to have the common sense view of the people that they are trying to help or serve. And that is the circumstances they live in, the overcrowding, the, the whole variety of issues, and the fact that, you know, you're dealing with a largely young population. Um, we've got a largely young population, and none of this seems to have filtered through to the people who are supposed to be sort of looking after their interests. And, that's, it, it's a sort of kickback to, on the one hand is sort of the adult in the room, Dana is, is not, is the, is not the, he's, he's the toddler in the playground, and it's, it's, it's a very typically South African scenario, so you've got these beatings, and a couple of, you've got some deaths, uh, which apparently are not uh, uh, protected in law, and um, so, you know, I, as I say, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, they they should have anticipated it. Let me put it this way. The suburbs are not going to be the problem.
1: Yeah. No, I really do agree. And I think it's coming to a head a little bit. The the absolute, um, the, the, the gaps in the, uh, the, the, the furniture, if you will. I'm mm. sorry. I couldn't think of a proper um, uh, idiom there. But, you know, we, you are beginning to see the cracks in the wall, rather. There we go. Finally got it. Um, insofar as... You know, a, a one-size-fits-of-all approach is clearly beginning to show its deficiencies mm-hmm. in this particular regard. But before we get to any of that, let's look at the Democratic Alliance, then, because we sort of began this with them. Mm. Um, they proposed this concept of a, a smart lockdown, something mm. akin to load-shedding, which we're all mm-hmm. pretty used to. Um, do you want to quickly talk about that, Sarah? Yes.
2: Um, well, I thought the uh, hashtag smart lockdown was quite smart. Um, and Perfectly. essentially... Essentially, what they're doing is, 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 is taking it, taking the complete lockdown from the centre, and then gradually releasing it, if I can put it that way, in different mm-hmm. phases. So, it's, as I said, it's, it's a bit like load shedding in the sense that you know, stage one, stage two, stage three, and then stage six. But here we're starting at stage six and trying to move outwards and opening. The opening dot lockdown up to, to, so to speak, so that more and more people can get back into the world and work. Um my concern, and, and he will comment when we get to him, is that it's, it's, it's cautious and it's probably prudent, but it's slow. And mm. I'm not sure that one way or the other that what's being, what's being, what's being proposed on all sides is not all the way too slow for the economy.
1: And um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it, it, what, it's been presented as a binary issue, as, mm-hmm. as though it's mutually exclusive, you know, the economy versus public health. And I mm-hmm. don't think those two are mutually exclusive as, as the argument mm-hmm. should have us believe. Um, and again, keep alluding to Hugo. You remember, we're going to have our chat with Hugo Kruger after this next break, um, who shed light around, you know, what the approaches have been in other parts of the world. But um, before we get to that, Sarah, and one thing that really actually... Is also beginning to to come to the fore. Um, Maybe circling back to Begitele is, you know, there's been a lot of talk, uh, you know, tough talk around Mm. yes, this lockdown. You know, we're going to shut everything down. Crime is going to go away because, you know, uh, this time and the third. But, you know, there's literally schools across Mm. the country that are going up in flames. What's going on there?
2: Well, well, it's, we can, I can only talk about Gauteng, which has had 55 schools either vandalized, robbed, or burnt down. Um, now, the vandalizing and robbing in the circumstances you can kind of understand, uh, you know, it's, 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 these are buildings with resources, uh, there's no one around, and people will enter them. The burning down, however, has, uh, has a completely different quality about it that I can't quite pin pin my uh, pin my thoughts on, except possibly the fact that it's almost a sort of protest. It's a sort of a, a middle finger up to the uh, to to law and, to the law and order services.
1: But it's also a bit of a, a, a weird one because I mean, if, you, if we're basically arguing as the secure are that yes, we shut everything down, there is no movement of people without uh, essentially us, the big bad government. Um, you know, knowing about it, it kind of sort of, you know, puts a fly in the, in the honey if, you know, people are able, able to get around to burn schools, pretty much, um, or to commit these sort of crimes. But, again, it, it just was a little weird paradox that, you know, no one was really talking about, you know, is this lockdown, is this not bursting with myth, rather, let me put it that way, of the actual idea of a lockdown, um, when criminals, being the very people that they are, don't actually care about the law. You know mm-hmm. if you tell people that they must stay at home or not, um the criminal will still just not heed that um well
2: it's It's also about the fact that uh you know while the cat's away, the mice will play so you uh, know yeah. if the, if, the, if the if the police force is is has its attention elsewhere um and chasing you know, you're going up birds. you may not you may not come into the suburbs because you know you'll be caught coming in or you're very likely caught coming in, but in the townships where it's uh <laughs> Not it's 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 not as as, as rigid and, and structured. There, there's opportunity, and and I think people will will naturally take it. Anyway, um,
1: speaking about rigid and structured, we're going to go to our next ad break, and after the break, a conversation with Mr. Hugo Kruger from the Rational Standard.
0: IFM, FM, one hundred and one point nine megahertz of life.
1: Welcome back to the IRR show, only on Hi FM. Guys, as I said, after the break, we're going to have a conversation with Mr. Hugo Kruger, who writes quite a lot for The Rational Standard, a voice who maybe some of you have read uh, before. Um, I'm just checking if he's on the line. Hugo, good morning. Yes, I'm,
3: good morning. I'm here. Thank you for having me. Um, awesome, I just want to point man. out as well that I wrote an article for Rapport as well on the, uh, on the weekend where I summarized basically what I was planning on talking with you about.
1: Excellent, cool. excellent, excellent to the listeners. You can also check that out in the uh, last edition of the report. Hugo, I'm going to ask this first question because I think you and I have been chatting online for the past three weeks, um, <laughs> really <laughs> wanting to get this um, conversation going, but, um, you know, the Internet being the Internet. Um, Hugo, there's a big scare factor. Right now, which I'm sure you can appreciate, especially being in that part of the world. Um, you're in France, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um, there's a big scare factor around the COVID-19. Um, talk to me about it in just your individual experience. Before we get to government responses and all that stuff, you've just gone through it. And I read your first post when you sort of detailed the day one to about day seven or day eight, really, of of its its, its symptoms on you. Talk to me about that experience. What did
3: did you go through? So I I just first want to point out that um, this virus has a few unknowns yet. So some people have a few different symptoms, but there are some in common. So um, just my symptoms, the first thing that you will notice, and it's almost a guarantee that you've got this virus, is that you will lose your sense of taste and smell. Um, this is normal for respiratory diseases, but because we're in a pandemic, it's highly probable that you've got COVID-19. So, first signs you lose your taste or sense of sm- your your sense of uh, smell, taste. That's like the first self-test. Next day, I got a bit of a fever and a hell of a headache. The day afterwards, headache is gone, but the fever starts climbing. And between that day and about day five, nothing serious happened except I had a loss of appetite. And I didn't take that too seriously, um, which I probably should have. And then on day five, I went for a walk. Then I skipped breakfast, went for a walk, and I felt like I was going to collapse. Uh, at the same time progressively I started coughing a bit and my lungs started burning um, As I started uh, you know, walking I wanted to collapse And that was probably because of my fever being high and me being dizzy Because if you have fever you go dizzy Then uh, the day afterwards I went, um, um, basically slept in bed Slept for about 14 hours um, And then afterwards slowly but surely my body started recovering So it was a bit of a combination I would say between a cold and a malaria I've had malaria before. Um, those are more or less the symptoms. Um, also you have a bit of a diarrhea on the when you have this and just pointing out, my fiance stays with me, and she did not have any of those symptoms. She only lost this uh, sense of taste and smell, and then a bit of a fever, and then she was fine. So you know they say that men are more affected than women. My household mm. confirmed that hypothesis it 's a feminist <laughs> virus
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, man, I, I can just hear someone on the auto screen, oh, there we go, man flu, man flu. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, she, really did,
3: just... she did scold me for not staying in bed, and she said yes. it's because she stayed in bed, that <laughs> she was okay, and I wasn't. <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: But, but you know just before I, um, I, I, I let Sarah chime in, um, you know… And I have to go here because I think immediately when people listen to these symptoms and they start piecing together all the news items they may have heard, there's been a big conversation, hasn't there, about the idea of, yes, uh, different people's response, uh, immune response to the infection once they get it, but the idea also of of the risk factors, those with uh, what the doctors call Comorbidity. So someone like me, for example, um, listening to those symptoms would get very, very frightened because, you know, I, I check all the boxes to, to an extent, you know, I'm obese, um, I have uh, hypertension, I'm not diabetic, but those. let's say someone was diabetic, they'll listen to you and go, oh my goodness, this this would be something that, that really makes, you know, uh, my life uh, uh, threatened, especially if you also have a, an existing respiratory condition like asthma or something like that. Um, Again, I know you can't speak to this because you're not a doctor, but maybe from your perspective, having gone through it, if you were someone who had any of those preconditions, do you think it would have been worse off on you?
3: Well, yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate. That I'm in good health, and I'm skinny, and I'm in my 30s, so I, I fall literally outside of the risk group. Um, it is a concern. I mean, I read a study this morning that said in America, the African community, American community is highly mm. affected by this, and the reason being they have high risk factors because they get junk food. Food from the food stamps which they get from Government Um, and of course So if you are obese or I would say Insulin resistant um, I think Professor Tim Noakes put something on today as well You have a higher chance of being In severe categories but once again I want To point out you should not panic Because they did a comparative study In China's Hubei province where um, People were affected And your chances of dying from Real life is literally more than dying From this virus even in old age with pre-existing mm-hmm. conditions. And that conversation should not be lost on us. So, yes, um, you need to take personal responses. If you are in a risk category, you've got a autoimmune disease, I would say HIV positive, um, anything of those sorts, you should be a bit more concerned. I would not even say obesity is really a big concern because a lot of people that are obese survive this thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Um Sorry, maybe, mm. sorry, I know, I know you're saying before I sorry, but uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it, this, this is a pent-up conversation. We've been mm. watching each other's this conversation with Hugo. Hugo, maybe just a final one from my side, um, as as we begin to shift maybe the conversation to government, but I, I won't go there quite yet. Um, in Europe, talk to me about the news cycle um, in, in Europe. And how how has the media been uh, approaching this in terms of One a public education um, role, if they are playing that role, and how are people perceiving the 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 virus through basically what they're reading in in the media? What's your perception of that
3: being um... part of the world? You need to distinguish. I, I have the. F- um, I'm fortunate. I speak both German, French, and uh, I speak English as well, and I can read Afrikaans and Dutch. I've reading, been reading all the newspapers. Um, the English and the French press has been shambolic in the response. They've just created panic. Mm. Um, in France, I saw in um, January and February people that I thought were completely sane, rational, stoic people, totally panicking and giving over to media no panic. And of course, the social media spread the panic. The German press has been remarkable in the response, and you can. See it in the country as well. Um, the German virologist who advises Angela Merkel. So what Germany did is they put a virologist in charge of official communication. Maybe that's not the best mm-hmm. way to do things for us because we like free speech. But he was a highly qualified person. He responded to the SARS virus. And the first statement he made, which, uh, you know, I think is, it's, 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 an honorable statement is he said, before we start with this whole exercise, we must remember it's the first time since the second world war that Germans are not allowed to leave their household. I mean, I would have loved to see introspection sure. like that from mm. Becky Kelly and Sir Romopozo, you know, mm. but we mm. just didn't find it. Mm. So um, the Germans seem to have been handling it the best. Um oh, the other countries as well. I'll get into it. The Swedes have done a remarkable job as well. So, yeah, this is the thing. Yeah, the French and the English press has been shambolic. I think I've been far more educated myself through social media and through um, just finding my own facts on this, because I am a curious person, I also have a scientific mind. Um, but if I had to respond to the daily telegraph or the figure of the account on them for informing me, I would have mm. thought it's the end of times.
2: Hugo, um, can, can I just, uh, what, one of the problems from my point of view is, and I'm a layman, or I'm married to a doctor, but is that the, you, there's been a, he- there's a l- hell of a lot of information. And I think part of the problem that... We may have that England may have and France may have is that sort of is that woke social media culture that will come in with with a whole lot of information and then you 'll get official information and then you 'll get uh, different individual experts coming in and people are trying to create a sense of of order out of it, um, but they don 't really end up being in a position to be really um, what's to say? Qu- questioning about about this disease.
3: Yeah, the, look, there's um, there's that, but I, I think there's a few misconceptions going around which is driving the panic. And the first mm-hmm. one is this theory of exponential growth.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, I just
3: want to say it, it's blatantly false that a virus grows exponentially. And once you understand that, you realise this thing is not as scary as it is. Mm-hmm. A virus grows, you know, in a logistics curve, and everyone. In- media is using straight lines, not logarithmic Mm. curves, to plot exponential growth or logistics functions. Mm. That is driving the panic. The second thing is the media is not putting the the dates and the deaths in a historical perspective. Mm. They're not comparing it to the Spanish flu of 1918 or the Hong Kong flu of 1970 or the SARS epidemic or, you know, all the other epidemics and pandemics we've had in the past. And when you compare it relative to that, you would realize this is serious, but it's not that serious, mm-hmm. you know, and that would scale down the danger. The other thing is um few people in the media have understood what a second derivative is. And that is that, um, you know, um, for example, um, the cases while we have seen more cases tomorrow, maybe the difference between today and tomorrow might be less than tomorrow today and yesterday. And that mm. means the virus is decelerating despite mm. seeing more cases. I've mm. not seen any of those conversations, those facts being communicated. Mm. And that's driving the panic. The panic, I mm. think, is partially because journalists are not trained statistically. Um, but you know, I can't, I Then mean, there's also pure sensationalism. you know, bad news mm. cells.
2: Mm. I think it's also, I think it's also just a case of, um, it is so newsworthy and everyone wants to be seen to be devoting pages or this particular time to anything that they can present on COVID. And that's why it becomes a sort of a whole mess of an enormous amount of uh, information that, that that is difficult for people to accurately process.
3: Yeah, it's it's, it's that. I mean, um, look, I'm not an expert on the media either, but it's just I, I feel that the the honesty is also lacking, and then um, I mm. hope I can get later into the treatment because the mm. chloroquine treatment came from the south of France, and I've got a lot to say on that. And mm-hmm. I think Donald Trump was irresponsible by politicizing a treatment which mm. has potential. And now yeah. all the you know left-wing media, if you can call it that way, or just the, the, the opponents of Donald Trump, is automatically going against something which can potentially mm-hmm. save lives. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, yeah,
1: yeah. So, sorry, you guys, I actually wanted to jump in there because I, I, um, maybe it's just a final question. We'll, we'll move on to those issues. Um, the, the media hasn't unfortunately covered, covered itself in glory on this one, and I always attribute that to, you know, people always retreat into, what, into doing what they know. Um, and when there is a, uh, you know, I I won't call it a pandemic, because it's not like we've had one, you know, every year, but I mean, there have been recent ones, you know, MERS, SARS, etc. We sort of go into this weird, rote way of doing things. And what I definitely noticed was, you know, uh, discovery uh, in terms of the phases, there was discovery, initial analysis, fear-mongering. There was a lot of fear-mongering mm-hmm. until the president of this country, actually, which is ironic, but it's true, he stepped up into Guy's show. Um, because we did see in South Africa a a concerted campaign by some media to sort of drive up the fear. I mean, the the, the big focal point for us was the panic buying. You know, you had, um, you know, news broadcasters basically saying, oh, my goodness, you know, everybody's going out and buying everything. If you go there, there'll be nothing on the shelves. But when you then look at it from the context and the historical context you spoke about, I mean, for example, a lot of the the, the quote-unquote panic buying was happening on days where people were paid. Like the mid month and the, the, end, um, the end of the month. And funny enough, a lot of the announcements made by the president happened around those times. So, of course, you'd have a, a slight spike of those who go out and maybe buy one or two extra items or whatever the case may be. But the point is, it, they helped drive this narrative until eventually someone with a so- sober mind actually said, guys, calm down, this is what we're doing to respond. And we spoke about this before the break uh, in terms of, you know um, not celebrating, but you know, giving kudos to our Minister of Health in this country, who's actually been a really calm voice, a very sober voice. Talk to me about the importance of leadership um, also exuding a calmness and having experts around them to actually um, release a facts and data-driven um, uh, uh, analysis as opposed to just rhetoric?
3: So the first thing I want to get into the experts a bit later, if I can distinguish that from leadership mm. for a while, I yeah. think the, the first thing that happened which was wrong in South Africa and in England and in France is there was no opposition to this thing. Whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Nobody challenged the fundamental premise Mm -hmm. of a lockdown and the way we are dealing with it. The countries which have had free speech on this when the panic started were Sweden, Scandinavian countries, Germany. It did not happen in France. It did not happen in UK did not happen, South Africa, Italy or Spain. And those are the countries that we should be worried about. That you need to challenge policies because then you get a much better one coming out. What we saw was sheep was a sheep mentality and uniformity. All the political parties in South Africa, everyone included, went for the same solution. And now we are seeing the consequences of this thing happening. So leadership was there, but we were all leading the same leader, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, you know I get the impression that certainly I'm reading more from epidemiologists and people, particularly involved in a data analysis, um, that basically this this should have been this should be treated like a, a rather severe but a flu, um, and that in the lockdown essentially, while it may flatten the curve, just extends um, the the chance of, of re-arising again and again. And it, it almost seems like the, the you cannot question the, the sort of, as you say, the sort of dogma of the lockdown.
3: You know, so well, I, I, I'm questioning the dogma of a lockdown. I'm questioning the fundamental premise behind it. And I think I've got the stats to back it up. Um, so let's go back quickly to how a virus grows. We say a virus grows exponentially. That's blatantly false. A virus grows logistically. Logistics so curve you only learn at university. And what it means is that slowly but surely it will start to curl over. Now, if you look at all the countries that went into lockdown, they started curling over before implementing a lockdown. That's important Mm -hmm. to notice. Mm -hmm. So the amount of new cases started uh, decreasing slowly or it increased at a reduced rate every day before Mm -hmm. going into lockdown. And (laughs) luckily in Europe, we've got the Swedes who volunteered to be the control group of the world. And the Swedes have... um, I've shown that it's our immune system that flattens the curve, not locking mm-hmm. down the people. That's mm-hmm. the first, uh, you know, the, the first point on lockdown. The second reason why I'm against it is, um, we have seen statistics now coming out of Iceland, but we knew this already in January from Chinese studies that in China they said one in three people are asymptomatic. In Iceland it appears to be one in two people. So half the people mm-hmm. with this virus don't even know they've got it. Mm-hmm. So how are you going to trace them? Let's lock down the country and we don't do mass tests. How do you trace them? So they go back in their homes, they infect their families. And this is what we've seen in Italy, France, and Spain, that mm. without a program of mass testing, you cannot trace the asymptomatic people, meaning they carry on infecting people. So none of these questions were asked before mm. the lockdown started. We just assumed that we're going to be China. Yes, China did down the country, but they also tested everyone. And people tend to forget that they tested mm-hmm. everyone.
2: I mean, one of our problems is going to be, and just before we come to the break, the fact that we can't – we will probably not be able to test everyone, doesn't matter what we do.
3: Yeah, so that is a concern to me because – but, you know, I don't buy that because we had 650 million to mobilize the army. You know, you could buy a lot of testing kits
2: as opposed to mobilizing the army. So it's
3: it's a question of strategy, not a question of – of, uh, of not means, okay. Yes. yes, South Africa was bankrupt beforehand, but we chose the wrong strategy because we thought we're China without oh. even realizing what the Chinese Absolutely. did properly.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Sorry, let's go to a ad break and when we come back, we're going to unpack these issues and begin to look at the alternatives perhaps to a lockdown.
0: Okay. <laughs> IFM, 101.9 megahertz of life.
1: Welcome back to the IRR show. We are in conversation with Mr. Hugo Kruger, a writer and analyst from, or rather, who writes for a few publications, um, The Rational Standard being the one that I can think of as top of mind. Hugo, before the break, I think we're beginning to get to the level of the conversation. In these last 10 minutes of the show, let's go into the meat and potatoes here. There is clearly a criticism Um, developing in this conversation around the lockdown strategy. And I would agree with it, uh, especially in the context of just a lockdown for the sake of a lockdown, with it being more of a securocrat exercise than a public Mm. health exercise. Mm. Um, Mm. Because I think we're seeing that in South Africa. Uh, There just really has not been enough testing of South Africans for us to justify um, even some of the numbers that are coming out. Um, you know, uh, from uh, government. That, that is a, a genuine and real um, criticism. Talk to me about what we've seen in Europe and comparatively looking at places like India, excuse me, not India, um, Italy, sorry, um, versus Germany and break it down for us why it's been a problem and what you would recommend as an alternative.
2: Okay, so
3: the first is I want to place a bet today that the country that's going to come on top of all countries in the world is going to come out of Africa and that country is going to be Senegal. It's not going to be China. It's not going to be South Korea. It's not going to be Taiwan. It's not going to be Germany. I'm putting my money on Senegal and I'll come. Okay, I'll come to you right now. Let's first understand where the crisis came from in December. There was an expert by Imperial College called Neil Ferguson. We predicted based on an R0 value that half a million Brits would die, and you can extrapolate that value to the US, to any country. Uh, the problem is you use the model without data. So you predict that half a million Brits would die. Today it's at 10,000, so if you overestimate the risk by 50. So if you tell the government that half a million people would die, it's sensible to close down a country. If you tell them that 10,000 would die, Mm. Um, it's much less, fundamentally much less. So any response is get the interns to work at the universities or at the hospitals during the weekends. So I think Neil Ferguson has a lot to answer for because he didn't look at the existing data coming out of Hubei province. A lot of people say China have lied about their data. I do not support that claim because China's data from Hubei province is within proportion of the rest of Europe. So it's the first, you know, lies I would we'll just let it get out of. China did not lie as much as we think they lied. Despite being a communist country. Um, so the countries who have struggled the most are the countries who have had a lockdown in Europe who only tested severe cases, France, Italy, Spain, the U.K. So if you test severe cases, you can compare those countries, because you're comparing severe against severe. The problem is you don't know who's got the virus, so you are overestimating your death rate. And this is a common thing, a denominator we do not know in the, all of this. Um, so in, on the internet says 21% of people Who have this virus die That's complete nonsense uh, if, Unless you test everyone You cannot know what percentage of people die Because you're only testing severe cases So um, the countries who did well in Europe I would say Germany and Iceland Is good examples Germany had also a partial lockdown They kept their factories running though um, Iceland kept I believe the schools and restaurants closed, and they had some curfews But they didn't have a complete lockdown But all those two countries had mass tests. They expanded testing. Iceland has now tested half its population. Okay, it's a small country, you can do that, and they've realised that the death rate in half the population is less than a common flu. The wow. stats coming out of Italy in small towns say the same thing. Uh, in Germany, it's not that bad. It's a bit worse. In some towns, they've tested all in Germany. It's about twice the amount of people than annual flu. So I'm not here telling you it's not worse than flu. I'm just saying it's not as bad as 3.5%, which was the Spanish flu initially. It's much, much worse than that, You're much more, uh, less worse than that. So um, this is the comparative thing. Then you've got Sweden. The remarkable thing about Sweden is it did absolutely nothing. Um, I think that's restaurants, um, it limited to more than 50 people, but they went for group immunity. And basically mm-hmm. you can see if you look at the per capita values of Sweden, most of Scandinavia, it's within the same order of magnitude. So nature's law has run its course in Sweden, and everyone else has tried to stop nature. And it seems that despite any policy – The law of nature is going to be that the virus will pull through your population. Mm. So you're only only delaying the inevitable with a lockdown to the extent Mm. that it can work because you're preparing yourself for a second wave. And now the first thing Mm. I ask the people in France is, if you know anything about the Spanish flu, you'd know the second wave was worse than the first wave. So Mm. if we lock down the country now, we let's say it works, we stop the curve. We go back out, the first customer comes from China, he infects us. What's going to happen? We're going to be a much poorer country and much less capable to shut down again.
1: Mm. Mm. Well, that's the mm. ominous bit, isn't it? Um, uh, I actually wanted to, to – oh, sorry, sorry. Let me yeah, – yeah.
2: No, I wanted to ask you – you wanted to talk about um, the uh, chloroquine as as a
1: possible yeah, – Yes, as, I was just cool. going to go in that direction. Yes. Yeah.
3: Mm. Okay, so let's talk about Oregon. If you look at France's statistics, you would find that the Bouches-du-Rhône area in the south of France is an exception to the rule of all of Europe, particularly the city of Marseille. Marseille has tested more people per person than South Korea at this stage. And more than Germany. Okay, it's a remarkable wow. thing that's happening there. Um, w- there is a professor there called Didier Rahult, who is the world's most cited expert in infectious diseases. It's not mm. an idiot, it's not a Sangoma selling us a remedy. Um, <laughs> so what is Didier Rahult was saying is that from the beginning, he said, Guys, we're fundamentally misunderstanding how a virus spreads. With all those solutions. He calls the lockdown medieval and I tend to agree with him. And he said the problem for any virus is you need to, uh, you need to target the carriers of the virus. This is why when people have HIV and AIDS, mm-hmm. we tell them, know your status, wear a condom so you cannot spread the virus. If you stop the yeah. spread of the virus, the virus will die. And he said, let's test the carriers. And we start to kill the virus inside the carriers despite them being asymptomatic. And what he has shown is if you use chloroquine and uh, acetromycin, which is the antibacterial, but it's mainly chloroquine, um, for early symptoms. And now, this is very important because South Africa's guidelines use chloroquine for late symptoms. It's not going to work. Mm. If you oh, use yeah. chloroquine on a- and early symptoms, essentially it makes your blood a little bit more alkaline. It stops the virus from replicating in your body. So you kill the viral load inside the person, and therefore the virus cannot spread. So if you treat mm-hmm. the person early, you treat the you stop the virus from spreading. But if the guy is on a ventilator in the ICU, the amount of chloroquine you need to give him is probably going to kill the patient. Mm-hmm. So and, and,
1: and maybe as we wind down the conversation in the last sort of minutes or so, it does speak to perhaps that alternative approach, which really emphasizes the public health aspect first. Um, We're testing, 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 testing. So you can actually find out exactly what the rates are and... and Begin to go after that and then bring in, you know, the medicine. Uh, uh, but Hugo, maybe there's a quick um, uh, pushback and I want to see how you respond to this. Someone might then say, but hang on, Hugo, um, what has the, 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 the load been like in Swedish hospitals, for example? Because the whole rationale about lockdowns is that you're trying to make sure that it, that's the public health system doesn't get overwhelmed. Uh, were hospitals in those part of the world that you're venerating, were they overwhelmed?
3: So, yeah, they're they overwhelmed everywhere. I mean, that's that's true. Mm-hmm. But um, the question is, does the lockdown stop that from happening? And we haven't seen that in Italy, Spons and France. So you're not addressing the problem. What stops mm-hmm. it? The IC, Marseille's got the fewest amount of people in ICU in all of the Western world. And the reason is they treat, they detect, they, 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 you know, they, they detect, they taste, they treat. They've got some rhyme, the doctors say. But if you treat early, you stop people from going to ICU. Mm. Uh, and you break that line, and that's why I'm I'm advocating the Marseille solution for South Africa. And Senegal is using it, by the way. Senegal's doctor mm. was was being taught by Didier Old. Okay, uh-huh. he's a student of him, and the doctor there in Senegal also responded to the Ebola crisis. So it's practical people on the ground. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. They're not mm-hmm. following models. So my money's on Senegal. Cool.
1: cool. Well, um, on that wonderful uh, bombshell, um, <laughs> <laughs> let me just say thank you very much to. Uh, you, Hugo Kruger, and, um, yeah, man, it's really insightful just to be able to listen to the alternative perspectives. And I think you're 100% correct. There is a need in a democracy like South Africa for individuals to actually question. And, you know, say, hey, how about we try uh, this way or that way, whatever the case may be. Um, we've been in conversation with Mr. Hugo Kruger, a writer and analyst who writes for many publications. His recent works are in the last uh, edition of the report newspaper, so you can find his uh, views there. Hugo, just very quickly before we go to the break, how do the people find you on social media?
3: Uh, Just up on Facebook, and it's Rational Standard Report. I don't have Twitter. I I don't want to go into a circus.
1: (laughs) Hugo, thank you so much for your time. And uh, we're going to go to a short break, and we'll see you after these short messages.
0: Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.
1: Welcome back to the IRR show. My name is Big Daddy Liberty, and of course, I am joined by uh, Sarah Kahn. We just finished a conversation with uh, Mr. Hugo Kruger, a writer and analyst, uh, independent and writer and analyst who writes quite a lot on many issues, very strong on, on the statistics side of things. And um, Sarah, yeah, this is a very interesting breakdown of the the rhetoric, not only the rhetoric around uh, Covid nineteen, but also the various responses around the world. Very lucid um, description of of the pros and cons.
2: Yes, no, uh, he's he's looked at it very thoroughly. In fact, it raises the fact of what we're going to be looking at. I think in the in in the next week, and that is more and more questions are going to be raised about the idea, about the issue of the lockdown. Given mm. the the sort of information that Hugo provided about not going for a lockdown, particularly a given our Resources or the poor appropriation of our resources and the fact that I think it's gonna, the, the focus is going to increasingly be heavy, heavier on the economy on people who are unemployed applying for UIF and on SM- yeah. SMMEs trying to apply for funding to stay alive. And the fact that in true South African um, uh, style, those facilities are not being well handled. And I think that is really going to become much more of a focus in the next while.
1: Yeah, and, uh, you know, just listening to Hugo, I, I, I really saw the value um, and he actually also said it, you know, the, the idea that you don't just blindly accept something. You know, you've got to be able to debate. Um, and, again, debate isn't just for the sake of, oh, look at me, I'm, I'm super smart. But it's actually saying, hey, what are the rational approaches to this? What are the various uh, rational approaches to this? And I do believe, if we if we segue back to where we began our conversation, Sarah, um, that the only other significant party, perhaps, um, just outside of, 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 you know, you know, civil society, the media, et cetera, et cetera, who are, you know, debating this issue with the DA. But even then, mm. as Hugo said, the, the, the pool of ideas was essentially all the same stuff. Mm. Um, mm. So for me, that was very, very interesting to actually, mm. to note that, you know, there, there, there are these conversations in countries like Iceland and Sweden, as you mentioned, mm. the south of Italy, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I'm going to do a lot more reading on that.
2: Mm. But, uh, what i think is the lesson to be learned and particularly for the serving government which is you know so fond of communist and ex-communist countries is that you have to look at your own circumstances you cannot blindly go for a process that has been used by um, by the chinese
1: Mm. No, I, 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 I and, and that's been the stupefying thing. I think, if if I'm to level a bit more criticism, and it's something I'm going to be looking at on the Big Daddy Liberty Show this week. I am back. I am back. I am back, um, and we're going to have, ironically, uh, another conversation with Hugo with other. Uh, voices on this issue, perhaps ones who are more pro-lockdown. Um, I want to have that debate out on air. But the real issue I wanted to look at is, you know, who do you look to as a, a you know, someone who's sitting in, in the echelons of government? Do you look to these big autocratic countries that are able to, you know, at the drop of a dime, um, literally control all aspects of society? Is that the way in which you want to do things, the securitocrats' approach, or do you actually adopt, um, you know? A, a, I don't know how phrase but do you adopt essentially uh, means and methods which bring in other uh, stakeholders? Maybe people you don't even control, like Sweden. Sweden didn't do anything, as Hugo basically pointed out, and went for that herd immunity approach. Like, what form of government is most appropriate for the 21st century is the ultimate question we're going to be answering. And we're going to be using this COVID-19 as, as the segue to that conversation. Um, Sarah, last thoughts before we leave?
2: Um, Just to say that we're in the Maya and it's going to be strange and uh, we'll probably be talking about this for the next few weeks to a greater or lesser extent.
1: Absolutely. Um, And on that bombshell, there's been lots of bombshells to do on the show. Remember, you can find news, opinion, and analysis on everything that we do on the Daily Friend website. That's www.dailyfriend.co.za. And look out for the Big Daily Liberty Show on Friday on High FM. Guys, thank you so much. We'll see you next week, Tuesday.